Welcome to the Sourced Week in Review. Another wet weekend coming up. The rain's falling around us. My name is Michael Crutcher. Welcome, Jordan McDonald. Hi, Michael. Here we go for maybe a wet weekend. It's looking that way. The last one before the election, thank goodness. Yes. <laughs> I'm ready to not talk about politics for a bit, but we've still got a little bit to go. We will, we'll start with politics. We will start with politics, ironically. I like what you <laughs> found this week because... Let's face it, when you get to week five of a week six election campaign, you're in the dog days of the campaign. People yeah. have had enough. It needs something really powerful to get people engaged. I mean, if you go into a social function this week and you talk about the election, you probably should be slapped, <laughs> I think, for that. Yeah, but uh, certainly any place I go to. However... We want the podcast to be interesting, and you have found something really interesting this week. So tell us about that. I have, I have indeed. So this is—it's almost a warning to Australian politicians that they uh, they need to think a little harder before posting on Twitter because it will live forever. And that's what I've found this week. I've found this resource which tracks every Australian politician on Twitter, and it lists any tweets that they've deleted. And it also details when they deleted that tweet and how long that tweet was up before they hit delete. Okay, so you show me the website. It's not a fancy website as such in how it appears, but it is very, very interesting in, the, in what it contains. And it's a really important development in the sense that probably two things. One, we know that politicians have posted some idiotic things over the years. Of course. We're well aware of this. Um, on Twitter, uh, now... If you post something really stupid, mm. you and you realise that really quickly, like within seconds, you can delete it yes. and you think you've got away with it. Absolutely, you think you probably do. If you leave it up for a bit longer, someone will screenshot it, so it doesn't mm. matter if you delete it, who cares, because it's screenshot lives forever. But this one ensures that nothing gets deleted, I guess, but also it keeps collection of all these things so you can go back and look at it and you can sort of get a pattern maybe as to why some things were coming off yeah. um, and then of course too we know that if some people decide they will run mm -hmm. for representation they can go back and delete their tweets before they become known but this will take Correct. care of that so, so tell us more about it yeah so how it works the the resource is called Pollet whoops. So I've sort of, I, in my mind, I break the two words down as half of pol political and half of whoops. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and it tracks tweets deleted by public officials and candidates for public office. And so this resource is essentially a set of code which speaks to Twitter's public information. And they do that through an open source API. And what happens there is it collects tweets from Australian politicians. This this code does, doesn't just apply to Australian politicians. You could apply it to anything. If you wanted to look at all the players on a particular NFL team, it could do that as well. So you can, it can be modified to suit you. Now, the code, it constantly works and it gathers any tweets published by the politicians in Australia and it provides that information and that information includes the contents of the tweet what device it was posted from, what time and location. But interestingly, as I mentioned, it, it, uh, if a tweet is deleted, this, Twitter, uh, this code picks it up and it compiles it into a list, which is what this website is made from. 
So we look back on some of the tweets and like, I know you're going to talk now. I'm going to ask you now about what you've seen. So when you look through some of these ones from a federal viewpoint, what have you seen? I don't know if they're up there with some of the more memorable or maybe not really memorable, but regretful posts that some politicians have done. We know more than a decade ago, Anthony Weiner, the New York representative, was probably the most famous regretful tweeter. Um, he ended up going to jail after a while. But also one from the National Republican Senatorial Committee. They deleted a tweet, which uh, didn't matter. They deleted it because it was screenshot when they accused a representative over there who, unfortunately for her, she had lost both of her legs while serving for her country in Iraq and they oh accused no. her of not standing up for veterans, which is clearly a, That's a very, very poor thing. But have you found anything or any patterns in your search this week on uh, this website, which is well worth a look? Look, oh, it's not as juicy as one might hope. It's You haven't got you know politicians going rogue and posting these you know, outrageous things, but it's commonly sort of catty comments uh, in response to news and events in and around Australian politics. So I sort of likened it to... You know, things you said in the heat of the moment that you later on realise aren't probably appropriate. Yeah, give it a spell for a half an hour, an yeah. hour, and think again, yeah. Yeah, so what's interesting though for me is that the time. So how long ago the tweet was deleted and how long that tweet was up before someone hit delete. I think that can tell us a bit more maybe about each party based on the tweets and and the especially ones, especially from the party members who are deleting the tweets. So I've got actually a few examples and I won't name names. Uh, it's not appropriate, but <laughs> I'll read out three I've got here to give you an idea of what, what shows up on this website. So this tweet reads, says the privileged Tiff who spends so much exhibition time pretending to be the common man. Okay. So they're having a crack at someone there. He's having a crack, yep. having a crack. And uh, so that tweet was deleted 21 minutes ago. But it had been posted four hours earlier. Okay, so we've got a three and a half hour gap there. So that's probably enough time for someone to go, uh, Yeah. Is that really wise? Yeah, yeah. Maybe you should get rid of that. Yep. Second example here, it's a very, very short tweet and it has fans gathered, but it was deliberately put inside quotations. Now, that was deleted a day ago, but that tweet was a year old. Okay. So I wonder why someone's gone back up for a year there. There's a bit of reason. The last one reads, Our Australian of the Year is a Canberra boy. What a legend. Massive thumbs up to you, mate. That was deleted eight hours ago, but that tweet is six years old. Okay, six years old. So something's happened there. And this is manna from heaven for journalists who will be, if my memory serves me correctly, uh, in various states next week on the last week of the election campaign of boredom, Mm-hmm. Um, paranoia that they're going to miss a story, um, tired, frustrated that they're getting taken to more media opportunity stage managed within an inch of their lives while they watch these leaders do uh, completely abnormal things to prove that they're normal, like meet people who they know love them. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so this gives them a chance then in this next week to start jumping on to something like this and just go back and have a look at some of the tweets that have been deleted over time 
um, and then to work it out. I noticed that uh, some of the Greens uh, candidates had deleted some tweets coming from uh, ABC alumni, a group of ex-ABC journalists and quite high-profile ones who were talking about why people should vote in a particular way to support the ABC. Okay. I'm not sure that's the wisest thing to do from their critics' point of view, but and I'm sure they think it is very wise, but... Uh, I noticed that the, some of the Greens candidates had deleted tweets coming from there. So I'm not really sure what that is. I know there was some discussion that some of those uh, posts by ABC alumni maybe carried footage that belonged to the ABC and not to them as such. So whether there's some sort of um, insurance play to get rid of those in case they get, uh, they get caught up in that, I don't know. But what I do know is that that's... Four journos who in election campaigns have increasingly less unscripted contact with candidates. It's not a bad way just to go back and just when you're bored, sitting on a bus going from one media opportunity to the next, just see what you can find. Yeah. Because it's Absolutely. probably going to be more interesting than what you're going to get at the press conference. <laughs> but that's just me. Um, just want to leave everyone there and we'll on elections. We'll have a look at it next Friday before we... Uh, go to election day, the day after, but let's move on from that. One interesting thing this week, now we talk a lot here, Jordan, about sports TV rights. So we talk about mm-hmm. the value of TV rights and, you know, that they've really soared in years gone by, TV rights, and we, we've discussed why on multiple occasions. One is that for free-to-air TV, which is trying desperately to compete against the likes of... Um, streaming services, YouTube, internet, etc. Mm-hmm. people still love to watch live sport. Yep. It's not something they tend to really watch, um, you know, on highlights. They want to watch it when it happens. Yeah, so, of course. Um, but now, of course, caught up with the streaming services themselves that are competitors to actually show that. Now, we know that um, in Australia, for instance, Rugby Union's on Stan, mm-hmm. so it's streamed live yep. through Stan. So the English Premier League is on Optus, Okay. Um, for a fair bit of cash too. So so they are competitors. So even with the streaming services aside, TV rights are really important to the free-to-air players mm-hmm. um, because it's really uh, – it's for them it's sports, reality TV and news. That's pretty much all they've got uh, yeah, in many ways. That's true. Yeah, and now we've got um, what's coming through in terms of streaming options. But also, you know – the, the costs to get the rights for these, I mean, they're very debatable in terms of, um, you know, whether the free-to-air broadcasters can make their money back on mm. them. But I guess the intangible, they say, is, well, we get to promote other shows we have and get people to watch them. And if anyone has seen the tennis in January, the Australian Open, yep. uh, or, say, the Big Bash Cricket and sees the endless ads for the TV shows coming up, Mm-hmm. That year, I mean, that's that sort of intangible, I guess. But yep. there's a new report out this week, and it's in the US, okay. which suggests that um, the profit margins for these uh, sports networks are starting to, to come down. Right. Um, which is something investors hate, of course. They hate slimming profit margins. Of course. Um, <laughs> so in this um, situation now, the report that was produced by an organisation called Kagan mm-hmm. um, showed... A bit of a breakdown there that traditional broadcast TV, so that's people watching via normal free-to-air uh, or cable TV or the old satellite cable TV, that still has more than the streaming service watches, but that will change, I think, by 2026, according to this 
this report. More yep. people in 2026 will watch sport via streaming services. Yep. Now, um, we've seen this year that Major League Baseball in the US has got stuck into um, some games over there. It's got a double header every Friday night in the US of baseball games that can only be watched through Apple TV. You can't watch them anywhere else, even on the Major League Baseball streaming site. You have to get Apple TV. That's caused a fair bit of consternation, <coughs> excuse me, in the US, mm-hmm. where people don't want to have to get an Apple TV subscription. Yeah. There's no other way to do it. And, of course, uh, Thursday night football, the NFL has had deals over there with Amazon as well. So we're seeing here, I guess, a prediction of what's going to happen next in terms of where do sports rights go? Can free-to-air TV, which is not travelling as well as it used to, still keep up with all this stuff? Where will streaming services come into play? We know here in Australia that the NRL is locked in until 2027. The AFL rights are coming up, though. And in the AFL rights, we've seen media coverage recently saying that uh, the likes of uh, Amazon and Google are keen to be involved. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah um, I did see that. Paramount um, as well in there with the ties to Channel 10. Mm-hmm. So will you have to get one of those subscriptions to watch certain AFL games? The suggestion is maybe one game a week. Yeah, it was the Thursday, I thought it was. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. right. A Thursday night game gets shown there. Um, and in, in terms of wider sports uh, streaming, we know that the tennis and the cricket are big investments, particularly in January. The Australian Open... TV rights now, no Ash Barty. That's yes. uh, going to be causing some issues. That will be an issue. So, so the thing to watch out of this is, again, a report that sort of talks about the slimming profit margins here for broadcasters and the move into more streaming services and what that's going to mean for all of us. So Australia, rugby league's locked away for a while. AFL is the one to watch on this as the time comes up. Cricket faces its own moment soon in terms of what happens with the Big Bash and other things, and that's a, that's a really interesting discussion. But... I mean, I'm interested in, for you, Jordan, what you think about this because you are someone who loves AFL, for instance, knows a lot about AFL. If AFL goes to a Thursday night game that's available only through streaming, are you going to download that streaming service or subscribe to it to watch a game? I just, I, if, if it's just the one game, I, I don't see myself subscribing to a platform like Amazon or Paramount. Um, just for the one game, I, the, the perceived value there beyond the game isn't there for me personally. So you'd have eight games a week you could probably still access, but that one game a week... The one game. You've got to debate that. Yeah, no, I, 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 I'd probably stick stick away from that. For Personally, I, w- I would stay away from that um, and look for the option that you know I can watch all the games live yeah. in the same spot. And one of the things too, Jordan, and you are a guru on this and your generation are gurus on this, is this is rise of the, the, the pirated sites oh, yes. that can broadcast games for which you have to pay nothing for them. Mm. Um, and they seem to just pop up all the time on the internet. So you've got someone who's paying 200 bucks a year to watch baseball, for instance, legally through Major League Baseball, and all these sites pop up where you can just sit at home watch them online and pay nothing for them. But that's an issue as well, isn't it, for these broadcasters? It certainly is an issue. And they do pop up, pop up a fair bit. Um, there are a couple that have existed for a while and they've sort of, they're sort of solidified the space. Um, but the sort of downside of using those services is that, you know, you haven't got as reliable a stream for all that. So you are susceptible to to freezing or for it to crash because yep. what's happening is essentially someone's gone, hey, I actually have paid for this 
and now I'm feeding it through something and they can advertise around the website to get that money yep. back. And so there's that's the other thing. There's ads everywhere unless you have an ad blocker and even still it could just – it jams up the page. So the experience isn't the best but in terms of the saving and being able to actually still watch it, it's there. So there's the value. And, yeah, it's certainly – it's certainly something that you know I've explored for, for things in the past. Um, and I guess too with the younger generation, and we know they multi-screen, so yeah, when yeah, they're watching yeah. sport, there's another screen. So one, it's free. Two, it's a bit slow, yeah, but hey, I've got my other screen here. I'm watching, you know, I'm doing something else oh, on that yeah, screen. Well, we do it in the office here, so we're, we're working hard. Trust me, we are. <laughs> but um, right. it's, it's not uncommon to have a, an NBA or a baseball game in the background. So That's right. Yeah, we do, yeah. And some of the streams that we have detected over time um just trying to find out uh, just how illegal some of these things are there'll be one where sometimes it'll be the feed from like the jumbotron yeah. in the center yeah where you'll see whatever the crowd's seeing on the jumbotron bizarre mm. feeds but again they serve a purpose for people who don't want to pay all of this money that's it and i'm sure they break the hearts of the the companies that have paid exorbitant amounts just to show sport. And the report that, that Kagan um, had, it showed that uh, in the last year, networks in the US spent US $15.5 billion God, for the rights to major sports. So that's uh, obviously more than that in Australian dollars, but each year $15.5 billion to yeah. show sports. So big industry and massive, we'll keep looking at massive. that. Now our last one for this week is a, I guess it's it's, Something that sort of wasn't a, it's not a surprise, but in many ways it's a bit uh, sentimental. The end of the iPod, what happened? Yes, and forgive me, I will get a little bit dramatic. It's, um, it is the end of a quite a remarkable era. The Apple on Tuesday announced that it has phased out the production of the iPod Touch, which was the last product of iPod in the line, which spanned two decades. So... The announcement they made, titled The Music Lives On, says Apple's music legacy continues through the iPhone, the Apple Watch, the iPad and the Mac, along with the access to 90 million songs and 300,000 playlists available via Apple Music. 90 million songs. It's a massive catalogue. I, I don't even know how many uh, Spotify has. I should. It would be interesting to compare. Could be some stinkers of songs in that 90 million they're too, big, they're big. Yeah, there'd be a few. Um, but yeah, since the first iPod in 2001, Apple has sold over 450 million units. But last year, just sold 3 million in total. The iPod, though, paved way for, for much of Apple's innovation, which influenced the world. So... For example, buying 99-cent songs from iTunes yeah, Store. remember that. That provided the blueprint for subscription service offerings for broader catalogues like Spotify. And then you go to their product design. It was always unique. It always emanated this new level of hardware engineering and, and software development that allowed Apple to triumph even as a late uh, market entrant, which they were for the MP3 player. Yeah. So for me, though, the, it was the, uh, the announcement made me sort of appreciate the marketing goal behind the iPod. I find that most interesting. So to steal market share away from Microsoft, Steve Jobs came up with the idea for the iPod. He wanted to focus on the world's universal love of music and he created the iPod to be the superior MP3 player and that coincided actually with their acquisition of a, a digital jukebox which later evolved to become iTunes and then the rest is history. True and don't forget that 
Apple's brand essence. So it's brand essence and these are really interesting studies across different um, companies, but their brand essence is simple elegance. Ah. And when it first came out, it was that. You know, it really led to that simple elegance. But as funny as time's gone on, it doesn't feel as simply elegant as it once was because you, you could like, yeah, well, you touch those, you touch those <laughs> things to forward the song on. I feel like this is a, par- a problem my parents have too, but us, us younger folk, we don't have that you problem. You didn't have this, but you had probably small fingers at that time. I've got fat fingers, I definitely... <laughs> <laughs> well, when they first had those buttons, surely your fingers were small because we've got an true, old Apple true. TV box in here in the office. I don't know yeah. how it's held on for so long and it's got one of those annoying remote controls. Yeah, yeah with the, the circular thing. Yeah. Similar to the iPod mini which had the circular, the like circular the ring one. one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The circular one and if that button sticks mm. it ain't unsticking easily. No. Nah. So, yeah, yeah. and there's plenty of wet weather. It's been sticking a lot lately <laughs> and we're going to have to try and do something about that. But while we've got that we'll always have a connection to the iPod which is dead but of course Makes me feel old, that. bit like the fact that there are some journalists covering this election now who were in primary school when the Kevin 07 election was on. So that makes me feel really old as well, Wow, um, these things. But um, well done, iPod. You did very well. Paved the way for many other things. You yeah. won't be listening to your iPod this weekend, Jordan, but will you be doing anything of note? No iPod listening this weekend. I actually had a very quiet weekend and I think I've picked it Nicely given the weather. So I'll be in all weekend. It should be great. Good idea. I'll be uh, hoping the rain stops because the mighty Norse Devils are at home the next two weekends. Ooh. So we might need uh, Wet weather some, footy. some swimming races there tomorrow night yeah. uh, against um, the Capras. But um, let's see what happens. Enjoy the weekend, Jordan. You too.